HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi, this is Marion Nessel. I'm the Paulette Goddard Professor of Nutrition, Food Studies, and Public Health at New York University and a longtime fan of Heritage Radio. Like Marion, you too can support Heritage Radio Network, a member-based nonprofit radio station operating out of Bushwick, Brooklyn. I've been on it countless times. I love being interviewed. The interviewers are always really well prepared and fun to talk to about the issues that matter to me the most, uh, about how we can change our food system to one that's healthier for people and the environment. It's just invaluable to have an independent radio station that's dealing with these issues. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful asset. Support Heritage Radio Network by becoming a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. Open Table is a proud sponsor of Heritage Radio Network. For more information, visit their blog, Open for Business, at openforbusiness.opentable.com. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. And welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, uh, here today with Bruce Cowman of Union and Eden Co. in Pasadena, the greater L.A. Yeah. area, mm-hmm. the West Coast man, but hailing from the East Coast. Yeah, East Coast. A New Jersey, a Jersey. Paramus guy. Fucking Jersey. Yeah, that, fucking that's Jersey. That's the only way to say yeah, it. Yeah, it, it's very true. <laughs> it's, it's, but Jersey... You know, back then, I don't know what Jersey was like, is, is having this kind of renaissance right now because it's very fertile soil yeah. um, at the very least. I mean, there was always that joke that the marshlands is where the mafia buried most people. It's, it's probably true. Yeah, yeah. But it at least provided for a great base for plants to grow. Absolutely. <laughs> but what was... Talk about biodegradable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk, what, what is it? Soil and green. Like, yeah. That, that's it for real. <laughs> but growing up in Jersey... Uh, um, I mean, I think of hot dogs and pizza. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what was your culinary life back you then? You know, my first job, I, I got in the business uh, young. I was 13. And my dad said, get your ass to work. And um, his friend was opening up a pizzeria. So that was my first job. 
I was 13 and I was in the back and making uh, chicken parm and eggplant parm and antipasti salads and, you know, all this great Jersey pizzeria food. You know, everything came out of a can. Our steak sandwich was steakums, you know, <laughs> yeah. that kind of shit. But everything, it was it was a killer place. And then, like, within a year, um, I got to move up. I was ambitious. And I got to move up, and I was making pizzas. I was, like, 14 years old, throwing pizzas up in the air. And, you know, that pretty much solidified my love for what I do. And, and you know, the, the great thing was just the, the vibe of being in the kitchen and the horsing around. And, you know, it started young. Yeah, for sure. You know, I'm a smart ass at heart and it's we used to play pranks on everybody and, you know, just that kitchen culture. Is, it's it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, but you, you talk about throwing this pizza up in the air, uh, mm-hmm. the tactility of that, you know, being able to do something with your hands. W- were you a crafty person before that? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a musician. I started playing guitar when I was seven. My dad's a music teacher. Um, I play a lot of sports. Um, I like to draw when I was a kid. But, I mean, other than that, no. Yeah. I didn't do shit. Yeah, yeah. But it's <laughs> funny how those things aren't necessarily as translatable as cooking at a young age to a profession. Right. I mean, so when you first worked in that pizzeria, did you say, this is what I want to do for a job? You know, no. Uh, I mean, I enjoyed it. And so I just, you know, I wasn't thinking at 13 years old, what am I going to do with my life? And, um, you know, after a couple years there, I, th- I thought, you know, let's find something new but i stayed in the kitchen and i worked in the mall at a creperie and wore a big floppy hat do you, do you call that a french kitchen <laughs> no it, well unless you say microwave yeah. <laughs> because there was like 10 microwaves in the kitchen you know fresh we made the crepes in house it was owned by stofers and so we literally would scoop that frozen stuff out of the foil pans that you'd buy in the grocery store put it inside a freshly made crepe and roll it up and stick it in the microwave. It was awesome. Yeah. Genius. <laughs> and I'm sure you still use some of that technique in your kitchen today. Yeah, yeah. no. <laughs> Not at all. <clears throat> so, I mean, you worked in a mall, but then then what did you consider your first? Of course I worked in a yeah. mall. I'm yeah. from Jersey. I, live, I grew up in Paramus. Yeah. That's all there is. What did, what did you consider your first real kitchen? I mean, maybe it was that pizzeria. Um, well, after that, I, I remember working at a pub. Uh, and I don't remember what town it was. Um, I worked at this, this little pub, you know, making, and that, that was probably the first place where I worked where I saw like they ground meat and made fresh burgers every day. And, you know, it's kind of like piecemeal, you know, you you see a little bit more and more everywhere you go, hopefully. And in my case, it did happen. Um, from there I, in, in high school, I decided to do the vocational program. So I spent half a day in a kitchen you know, in culinary learning. And then, um, when I was 18, I started working for Marriott and, um, spent some time in hotels. I kind of always in my career wanted to branch out and learn everything I could, you know, everywhere I went. So I worked in a hotel and I did banquets and garmage and learn how to carve ice and work the line and the, for breakfast and, you know, just learn as much as I could everywhere I went. Can you still carve ice? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I haven't yeah. done it in so long. <laughs> but you confident? I, I could probably yeah. figure it out. Yeah. yeah. You said piecemeal before, but I, I think of it more as a, a cumulative, uh, yeah, that's, you know, education. Yeah. Um, and 
I don't know. It, it was funny. I, I had a similar structure to my career where I, I was a little bit of a journeyman in the way that I worked at like 40 different places in like two years. And everyone was <laughs> like, that guy can't hold down a job. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe it's that I want to know too much too quickly. It's that, not that you can't. It's that you don't want to. Yeah, yeah. But is, is it a frenetic thing for you? Is that you, you, you lose interest or you just want to know everything? No, I mean, I just I want to know everything. And I feel like every job I had when I got to a point where I felt like, I wasn't learning and I wasn't stimulated. It was time for me to go, you know, where um, I felt, I mean, you, you know, obviously you can stay somewhere for 10 years and keep learning, but if the menu doesn't change on a culinary level, you, you do, you, you kind of just, you stop learning. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, there's learning in the way of, you know, by repetition of doing something over and over and over again and getting good at it, um, which is the conversation I always have with my cooks. I'm like, slow down. You don't have it yet. You got to do it like 10,000 more times and then you got it, Yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, going from job to job, you know, I, I feel like, and I, and I always encourage the, the people that work with me, you know, at some point to go work with other chefs too, because otherwise you just learn to do things one way, you know? And then you, when you get to the point where you're running your own thing, that's all, you know, if you've worked for multiple chefs, you can decide and kind of put piece together your style, whether it's food management, you know, um, the way you set things up. And so I've had that opportunity. I, I, I bounced around quite a bit too. I tried to do a year yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Some places I couldn't tolerate it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just bullshit. In, in Chicago, you were with uh, Bar Barlota. <laughs> I was, yeah. And I was at Spiaggia. So from him and that experience i mean what what has been implemented in your kitchen today so um it's funny because i just saw i was just at pebble beach food and wine this past weekend lovely going from that amazing gorgeous sunny weather to freezing cold winter in, <laughs> winter in new york <laughs> but um and you know the thing with him that has always and still resonates with me is simplicity and you know selecting incredible ingredients and treating them with respect and um you know that that's that's the tuscan way i mean that's the italian way is find the best ingredients minimally prepared you know and and just put together really well like three four ingredients on a plate yeah i mean that, that's easy to say where you live now on the west coast have, oh yeah have these gorgeous farmers markets which one do you frequent um i mostly go to the santa monica the Wednesday Santa Monica market is the shit. It's it's so lovely. It's so absurd mm -hmm. because it's almost inelastic. It's you so get consistent, spoiled, man. I mean, like whenever I go anywhere else and I'll do events in other cities, and you get there and they've got your they've ordered your produce and you get it and you're like, this isn't mm, yeah, no. <laughs> you know, it's like when you go to Italy and have a tomato, it just tastes better, you know, because it's. It's the way it's cared for and handled in the terroir and, and everything else. And, you know, I've gotten to know a lot of farmers that are actually growing things specifically for me now. And, you know, just the way their practices, they grow for flavor, not for volume so much. And, um, you know, which is the opposite of the big box theory. Yeah. You know, just, you know, make it as big as possible. Grow as much as you can for as cheap as possible. And these guys don't do that, you know, yeah. and the result is that <clears throat> I was just telling somebody today, you know, I think the thing with with the food that I cook um, 
everything down to the salt that I use makes a difference. You know, like I use a pure ocean salt that has no anti-caking agents, anticoagulants, preservatives, anything, and so it's really pure. And the way it interacts with the food is very different. I mean, that purity, again, comes from those northern Italian Mediterranean influences. <clears throat> Definitely. Um, but it, it took a while. I mean, stints around the country, what, San, Santa Fe? I was in Santa Fe. I, was in, I worked in New York with, uh, here with David Burke, um, which is like so far the other end of the spectrum from Paul Bartolotta. Yeah. Which is great, though, because it's, you know, like I, like I just said, it kind of helps you establish your style, you know, your your culinary vision. And for a little while, um, after I worked with David and I was back in Chicago, um, I was the chef at a restaurant, my first executive chef job when I was like 26, which was like a year ago. Just kidding. <laughs> um, and uh, that was the style that I more gravitated towards was like crazy off the wall ideas with huge flavor. You know, and as I feel like I've grown as a chef, um, my my, you know, it's like you get um, more confident when you get become more confident in your abilities. You use less ingredients. Yeah. You know, I'm really good friends with Chris Bianco and and he it's so funny if you've ever met him. Everything that comes out of his mouth is so profound and beautiful, like everything that he says, you know, and, you know, things like it takes a million raindrops to form a great puddle you know <laughs> like shit like that yeah and uh you know he said the best ingredient is the one that you leave off the plate and it's so true you know because we always want to be like oh it needs this oh it needs that no it doesn't it needs balance and you can balance if you use the right ingredients and you handle them the right way you can use very minimal ingredients well i mean let's talk about pizza because th that guy is the mecca in this country oh, my god insane and the first time i learned to put less cheese on a pizza that was an epiphany yep you know, everyone wants, like, as much cheese on their slice, but you got to let that thing breathe. That's Jersey style. Yeah. <laughs> do you still enjoy Jersey style oh, slices? Oh, fuck yeah. I yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like, I know there's the 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 big question, which is better, New York or New Jersey pizza, and I, I got to say Jersey pizza. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. You sure it's not Bianco? No. Well, no. It's, that's just different pizza. Yeah, yeah. Totally different pizza. But um, Jersey bagels, too. Yeah. I miss those Jersey bagels. It's okay. We're, we're going to talk off air. Maybe I can convince you otherwise <laughs> about this. But we're going to take a quick break. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back. Open Table is a proud sponsor of Heritage Radio Network. Open Table is home to the world's largest dining network, seating over 17 million diners every month. Their technology solutions help restaurants run and grow their businesses. That means providing memorable hospitality to every guest, streamlining front-of-house operations, and optimizing seating to seat more diners and drive more business. Chefs, restaurateurs, and other industry professionals can find more tips and best practices for running a successful restaurant on their blog, Open for Business, at openforbusiness.opentable.com. Have you listened to A Taste of the Past? It's a show devoted to connecting our current food world with its storied past. 
Host and culinary historian Linda Palaccio welcomes chefs, scientists, authors, scholars, and revolutionaries into the studio to discuss food culture and history from around the globe. Have you seen the culture of food change over the past 25, 30 years? It's been incredible. Linda covers content ranging from the history of black chefs in the White House to behavioral psychology and the evolution of Italian food in America. You can listen to A Taste of the Past anytime on HeritageRadioNetwork.org or on iTunes and Stitcher. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Bruce Kalman of Union and Need Co. And we have agreed that any pizza is good pizza. And we're going to yeah, leave it at no, that. Yeah. I mean, most pizza is good pizza. Okay. All right. I mean, you're, you got to feel so blessed being right here at Roberta's. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's awesome. It's absurd. It's a must stop every time I come to New York. I, I'm, why do you think I do this show? It has nothing to do about the... You're like, I'll only do this show yeah. if you build a studio at Roberta's. Absolutely. It's, it's one of... One of Turn my hobby into a lunchtime profession. It's a fantastic thing. But more about you. This, the, you know, the move to the West Coast opened up a lot for you. It wasn't just the produce, but again, stripping things down to that simplicity. And union as well as Need & Co., are, are pasta-focused. Yeah. And why, why pasta? What, what is it about working with flour and water, such minimal things that can be so expressive? You know, I, um, I would say that my first major experience with fresh pasta was working with Paul Bartolotta and working with those pasta ladies. Were, they were insane. I mean, the amount of pasta and the, the level of quality that they would produce every day just blew my mind. And I, um, whenever I see that, I love a challenge, and I'm like, I want to learn. I want to be that good. I want to learn how to do that. And so I did, you know. And um, since then, I was the the exec chef at Coco Pazzo Cafe in Chicago, and um, that was immensely focused on fresh pasta. Um, and I just always come back to it, you know. I feel like it's very intimate uh, type of food to prepare you know it's I, I love handcrafted food in general and um to i feel like that especially like you make this incredible emotional connection with your guests because it, i just feel like it's so intimate it's like i did this with my hands and now you're eating it and you're really excited about it yeah i don't know yeah Maybe i mean that sounds crazy but you know it, it's it's exciting and and i feel like it's something where as much as I feel like I learn about pasta, I have so much more to learn. And, you know, um, th- there's always a different way to do it. You know, there's different regions of Italy make the same noodle different. You know, so I want to learn all of that. Yeah. I mean, do you have an extruder in your restaurant? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have a massive extruder. Yeah. Uh, Emilio Miti in San Francisco. Yes. He's the man. I love that little car. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. And uh, so I met him and um, we hit it off. And, you know, he's that kind of guy where you if you want to buy a machine from him, you have to go to his his shop and he has to basically sign off that you're OK to use his machine. I know he, he looks you up and down. Oh, I mean, big, he he big puts time. you through the ringer. Yeah. 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 Who do you think you yeah. are? <laughs> you know, and um, you have to kind of be worthy of using it. And so um, he actually we went up there and then he came down to my restaurant union and had dinner. And it's basically like, okay, you can buy a machine. What did you serve him that night? I don't remember, quite honestly. I think all of the pasta. Yeah, on the menu. <laughs> every single one. <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
and we have a good, really good relationship. They're incredible guys to work with. Um, and the machine just, it blows my mind every day. It's a big machine, 10 kilo mixer, the output, like the, the chamber when it's producing pasta, you know, extrusion, extruded pasta is basically made through heat and pressure. So the auger spins with the dough and it creates this, this friction, which heats. That's why everything's brass because it gets really hot. And my machine applies 6,000 pounds of pressure. It, it, it outputs some insane amount of pasta. Yeah. We made, and then it has a ravioli attachment that is mind blowing because most ravioli machines, it, they look, the ravioli look factory made. These, um, look like they're handmade the way it's done. And so, and I can make 700 ravioli in about an hour. That's absurd. And you can't personally, with your hands, apply 6,000 pounds of pressure to make that dough. I've tried. Yeah. <laughs> be like Superman, you know, turning coal into a diamond. Yeah. But, um, so, yeah, we have an extruder, but we do a lot of handmade pasta as well. Um, most of the pasta at Union, because we produce all the pasta for Union at need. We moved our pasta production out because our kitchen is like the size of this room. And um, so I wanted a place where we could really produce pasta in a controlled environment. It's more consistent. And so, like, we make squid and garganelli one at a time by hand. We make cavatelli. I don't use the machine. I do it by hand. Um, we do pasta alla quitada, which is our, our, one of our signature pastas. And we actually use the quitada. I've seen a lot of chefs put it on their menu, and they yeah. don't. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's uh, talk about the guitar. Also, being yeah. a guitar player, seeing those being a guitar player, yeah, yeah, seeing those strings. Uh, what is it like to use that machine, and and how does that change the texture of the pasta itself? So, um, it uh, it the bite. It's I mean, pasta guitar is a really kind of like a thicker um, noodle with a really great bite to it, and so we sheet the pasta, and then you you roll it through the strings, and it presses it through again pressure um i've kind of figured this out in my head it just makes sense i might be wrong but the pressure kind of forms the noodle in a way where it like um I'm trying to think how to explain it when you push it through it kind of like tightens it up almost i don't know yeah it, like it, pinches it, it, it's like yeah. closing a ravioli or something it's like <laughs> right exactly and so um it, it creates this pasta with this bite that's just um it's a little addictive. You yeah. Know, it's, got, it's like an addictive chew. Yeah. Like Cavatelli for me is an addictive chew. It's the same thing. Absolutely. I mean, that that's the thing. The exploration of pasta, um, a lot of people saying, oh, I've made this shape or a ketti or pici yeah. or strozzapretzi. But then you also have to parlay the sauce because every mm -hmm. pasta has its sauce. Right. That was exactly. almost like a rock and roll lyric. Yeah. You <laughs> <laughs> almost got me saying yeah, that yeah, for yeah. a second. Yeah. But um, that would be a really good, like, Weird Al take on every rose has a thorn yeah <laughs> um yeah i mean the sauce is obviously key the the way you execute it is key you know um one of the most important things you can do when you make a pasta dish is to cook your pasta like 80 percent of the way in the water and then 20 percent of the way in your sauce and then it soaks it up and it makes it a really cohesive dish and you know this way the sauce really coats the noodle well so that like by the time it gets to the table, it's not like a pool of sauce under a bunch of dry pasta, you know? And I think that that is super important. And, you know, it's not just the texture of the pasta, but it's 
it's the texture and the mouthfeel of the sauce and the flavor. And we do a lot with um, fresh olive oil, fresh lemon, Meyer lemon, especially like squeeze over the top of a dish right as it goes out. And it just, it adds that balance, you know? Yeah. We haven't even talked about the base of these pasta, you know, grist and toll. Oh, you, yeah. you are lucky enough to have uh, um, like an urban grist mill. Yeah. Which there hasn't been one in what, over a hundred years in that area. Yeah, I, I know. And um, I was so lucky. Uh, Nan Kohler, she was opening grist and toll uh, same time I was opening Union. And so I got to go in there and spend time with her and mill flour with her. And she actually mills my polenta, which should have its own Instagram page because it's so popular. I mean, it's freshly milled polenta, like where it actually still smells like corn. uh, And you cook it very simply with like milk and a little bit of heavy cream. The texture is out of control. It's like, it tastes like a fresh corn pudding almost. And people go absolutely nuts over it. But having the flour, I mean, the flour and the semolina that she mills for us, not just the grain itself, but the fact that she's milling one to two times a week for us fresh. Um, it's very different. It's very different to use. Uh, she uses the term, it's very thirsty, so it requires more hydration. Mm. Um, but the flavor and the texture, you can't, it's incomparable. I mean, you can cook this pasta and eat it out of the water with nothing on it, and it tastes incredible. Yeah. It tastes like wheat. Yeah. The thing I was concerned about was that the color is very different because this is whole grain. When you deal with whole grain, um, you don't get that bright yellow you know, dough that people typically associate with fresh pasta. Um, it comes out a little bit more pale, um, in some cases uh, like a light brown color. And we have a retail case at Need. And I was concerned that people were not going to be into, you know, they're going to be kind of, oh, what is that? that? That doesn't look right. So... You know, we've delivered the message like this is fresh, whole grain, freshly milled flour, freshly milled semolina. Um, And people are into it, you know, they really are. And you just you can't beat it. I mean, anybody that hasn't tried it should try it. Yeah, it's so so different. And you sell dried pastas now. Oh, yeah. Well, not we don't like dehydrate them per se, but we dry them a little bit and then we'll bag them up. We also sell a ton of pastas out of our retail case. It's great. And we do. Like, one of the things that we're known for is that we make everything ourselves. Like, we make our own butter, we make cheeses, we make uh, ricotta, stracciatella, mozzarella. Um, We pack our own anchovies. I have the luxury of a local fisherman. He'll catch anchovies, and we salt pack, and then we pack them in oil. And, um, I mean, it's kind of like if you have all this, why wouldn't you do it? Almost, you know? Yeah. It's better. I. Again, going back to Chris Bianca, we've had so many conversations about, you know, what is sustainability? And part of it is having control over your ingredients and knowing, you know, I know where my pigs come from. I know what they've eaten. I know who've raised, who's raised them. You know, I know who makes my olive oil. And it's just, it's, it's a responsibility we have to the public, I think. Yeah, well... Your other responsibility is to make that porchetta because well, people, people <laughs> you know, you say you know where the pig comes from, but people in L.A. know where their porchetta comes from. Yeah. No, our porchetta is uh, is very special. It, it took a little while to kind of get it to the to this point where it is now. It's special. And then we started um, doing a porchetta sandwich at Need downtown, and that really took off just like 
you know, shave porchetta, um, roasted rapini, a little mustard, pickled mustard seed, and uh, some au jus. So it's like, kind of like a French dip. And then we make a spicy jardinera. So it's good. Yeah, that's a step up from those <coughs> steakums of the days. Yeah, no your, doubt. <laughs> I mean, you do everything yourself to the point that you even <coughs> make your own music. I do make my own music. Um, so I I was fortunate enough to go to a, a dinner, a private dinner, and meet uh, Duff Goldman, and uh, who now we've become really great friends, and we in that night decided that we needed to start a rock band. He plays bass. I play guitar and sing. And so, um, we put together this little band called Fog rock. And, uh, I know it makes everybody laugh. And, well, uh, I mean, in, in a good way. Like, yeah. It's clever. And you are the LA's number one chef led alternative rock band. Yeah. There with. So I think it's the only, yeah, <laughs> but number <laughs> still one, number one, yeah. nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, we got together, we got some guys together, we practiced, we rehearsed one day, and we're like, holy shit, we're really good, you know? And I can confirm that, too. It's not just you <laughs> and your 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 musical ego. Um, <laughs> hearing your voice right now is, is, is so odd because uh, you are so baritone. And then yeah. when you sing, like a pretty little bird. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Especially when I'm singing Alice in Chains. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, it's fun. You know, it's definitely a good release. And, you know, I know the restaurant community loves it. And, you know, we've played a couple shows out in Hollywood and L.A. And they've gone over really well. So it's it's a lot of fun. You I know? mean, back in the day when you played in New Jersey, uh, yeah. your band Phoenix, yeah. you, you did get to open up for Meatloaf. We opened up for Meatloaf. Yeah. Not to use another food pun. No, yeah, no, yeah. ironically, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Meatloaf. But um, that, was, that was a fun show because... You know, we played at a lot of clubs in and around Jersey and New York. And, you know, it was a couple hundred people at the club, you know. And then you go and you play in front of, like, 3,000 people in, an, in like, an arena setting. And it's exciting. It's definitely a rush. Does that feel, that transition from club to arena, feel like your cooking career a little bit? A little bit, yeah. That's, you know, especially in the last, the last couple of years, I feel like things have really progressed with, with my career and... Um, we're on a good track, you know, I've got, most importantly, I've got a great team behind me and you have to have that to be able to branch out, you know? And so I think, you know, people really believe in, in the mission that we have and what we're all about and the food that we're serving and our philosophy, you know, we, union is, is successful in part because it's a very, we're very hospitable. So people love to come there. You know, we're not like, hey, come try our food because we're freaking the best. You know, it's like, hey, come in and enjoy yourself. You know, and we welcome people in with open arms. And we taught hospitality first and service second to our staff. And so um, that's definitely resonated as far as culture is concerned. Yeah. You no, know? I mean, I'm glad you said that because so often we talk about the food first mm -hmm. um, and how important it is to invite someone in before they sit down to eat. Yeah. And, and you know, I've worked in those corporate environments where it's like, OK, here's your first day of training. We're going to talk about the 85 steps of service, you know, and I understand it. I think the mechanics are definitely important. But what's more important is being able to manage those mechanics without it seeming like there's mechanics at all. Yeah. You know, like I think um, I always aspired to have a place like Blue Ribbon, the original Blue Ribbon, because I used to work with David Burke, and we would go there all the time. And 
what I loved is you got this amazing service. You got incredible food and everybody's in like jeans and ripped T-shirts. And, you know, it was just a really fun, cool environment, you know. And I thought this is the way all restaurants should be. It should just be fun and relaxing and and obviously amazing food and service. Like your local pizza joint. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming. And I'm not going to put you on the spot and make you sing for us today. No, We're going to wait till Def com, uh, Duff, Duff comes yeah, in. Yeah, we'll come and play. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll do an exclusive uh, foie gras show someday. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Bruce. And next time I'm out on the West Coast, I'm, I'm heading straight for that polenta, porchetta dip, about five different pastas. Some Spaghetti with Sunday tell. gravy and meatballs. Yes, the Sunday gravy. Sunday gravy is Sunday only. No, Sunday gravy, seven days a week. As it should be. As it should be. Thanks again for being on. And if you haven't been to his restaurants, which I know most of you have by this day and age, uh, stop by Union and Eden Co. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. A big shout-out to Cookies for the music, as always, and David for engineering. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.